If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And we are back with an all-new Keep It. We are joined once again by Miss Riri Cheney. Hi. It has been too long, mysteriously. Riri is in our lives every day. Yes, it's strange I, that it's been there, a while. There's well, a real constant hum of my voice around you. She people. appeared on um, Keep It spinoff, Love It or Leave It. <laughs> yes. Recently. Yes, yes, yes. The um, Falcon's Crest of yes. Keep It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, this mo- I want to tell you this morning, Riri, I was stirred awake. You don't start easily, so something must have happened. Louis Vertel. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Louis Vertel sent me a text, uh, and it arrived like 11 minutes before my alarm. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, why is this white person texting mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. This, this morning? Rage. I was like, General oh, my rage. God, Louis can't come a day. I was like, something's <laughs> happening. Um, and it just said, Tony. <laughs> oh, I said, excuse me, it said, Ugh, Tony. Yeah. T-O-N-I. Uh it was about Toni Morrison. Yeah. Um, no, actually, it was about Toni Collette. I'm just really into uh, her right now. Well, in her shoes. Um, no, Miss Toni Morrison has left, yeah. left this plane. She has. She was always better than this plane, but she She's... passed away this morning, and it was it was just it was eerie because I literally wanted to reread Jazz this week. Yeah. So I bought it yesterday and was reading it. It's so it's so crazy watching all the tributes for, to her on Twitter, which she would have abhorred, which I enjoy. Um, but <laughs> truly, she was... truly awful tribute. Just like there was a New York Post, New York Times thing where it said uh, she wrote about um, racial identity, and someone had to quote it with. She wrote about the human identity. I was like, no, she wrote about black people, bitch. She, <laughs> she was very clear. Very clear she about was it. Writing from the perspective of, black, of centering on black lives. But I was lucky to meet her in the rain one. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. She came to um, my college it's freshman year. It's like a year. biblical moment. It really was. I was like <laughs> waiting near her car and she was slowly walked out under umbrellas and I had, I was clutching my copy of Beloved and I like prepared it. I was like, Miss Morrison, would you please sign this book? It like changed my life. I read it in, <laughs> in high school. And her response was, who made you read this in high school? <laughs> <laughs> the suspicion. And I was like, my high school teacher, I think he thought it was important something, and this was important. Please don't notice that I'm up speaking because I just want to sound like an adult. And she signed it, and she said, "Go, good luck, babe, and just got in the car. And I like... Oh, Where is that book now? It is uh, right next to my Patty Lapone memoir. Okay. Okay. So I'm just keeping all my queens together. That is beautiful. It was really well. Uh, you know, I weirdly did not read Toni Morrison in high school. Well, you went to, I'm guessing, mostly Caucasian environment? I I went to an all-boys white 
Catholic private high school. Can't believe they weren't fucking with Toni Morrison. Uh, they made me read. No, I actually had a teacher who was very interested in making me read black literature, That's but good. not by women. <laughs> she, well, duh. Yeah. Two different years she had me read Invisible Man. Oh, wow. And I really can't do that with that book anymore. But I was always a fan of James Baldwin mm. and because he's like my favorite writer. And I remember just how much Tony loved him and seeing her. I reread this morning her eulogy for him yeah. um, that she had written, and it just reminded me of how much she was like. He made her think about, you know, like the words she wanted to use and just like she loved his writing so much. And I feel like I read his writing first, and then later I came to Tony's work. And I still have a bunch of things that I still need to read. The pleasure you know? in reading her. Of just, yeah. The pleasure of that deep in intellect it was like a depth that felt like a breeze mm -hmm. you know it was just the opposite of pretentious you you just would fall into it again and again and by the way she was the first african-american woman to win the nobel prize she deserved the nobel prize anyway for staying friends with fran lebowitz that long you know <laughs> you know how prickly a friendship that is and her nobel peace prize uh speech too is just so gorgeous like that's the thing about her too like it wasn't just even her writing like even a conversation with her yeah would poetry. be amazing like everyone's just sharing clips from interviews and she things. is one of the great interviewees i mean just truly wh whomever is talking to her even charlie rose charlie rose interviews are now worth revisiting because yeah. Tony Morrison. <laughs> i will say i rewatched the interview with Tony morrison and charlie rose this morning and the patience she has with this smug white man shows like a certain level of assuredness in her in her position, her place in the history of writing. I think she really respected the breadth. She loved Faulkner. She loved all of these writers that affected the way she looked at herself and then could reflect it back at weak-ass Charlie Rose and say, why can't you see your privilege in that question and your, and your refusal to notice that your need to center white stories is a type of privilege. Right. Is, is, is that the interview, if I'm recalling, the one where uh, he's like, uh, and you don't want to be known. It's just like a black writer. It's the one that's saying. Uh, She's you like, have... leave me out of racism. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's seven leave minutes. Leave me out of it. <laughs> it's a seven minute clip. And it starts with, you know, are you ever going to write about anything other than race? Mm. And it ends with. Uh, Charlie, do you not understand the problem in that question? That you're assuming that because I'm writing about black lives, that's about race. That's just centering our stories. And he he looked appropriately shook, um, but not enough, obviously, because of all the touching. <laughs> he was almost there. He was getting yes, close. Yeah. To he, he, it's he been an not, hour longer with him. Was not used to the discomfort of women, mm. uh, apparently. Not, Charlie not Rose. Yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I wish there were more to really say. I'm sure we'll still be talking about her for, for weeks. Also, it's just in a way... It, I mean, it's great we're talking about her. On the it's, show, I mean. We'll be talking about her forever oh, in that's life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it sucks that Dev has to, like, bring a spotlight in a certain way because it's just she just was peerless in so many ways, mm -hmm. period. And uh, we should be having this conversation once every couple months anyway. Yeah. You know? But, like, what she said about Baldwin, you know, like, his death really sort of just invited more contemplation. And I think that's what hers does, you know? There's a documentary that's out uh, about Tony right now. It's called The Pieces I Am. Uh, and I really do love how it highlights Miss Oprah. <laughs> um, because I feel like that was what I was talking about. I discovered 
her, uh, Tony, later, then I discovered like Baldwin and other black authors in high school. Uh, a large part of it, you know, was just due to Miss Winfrey. Oprah, you know, really highlighting Tony's work. You know, the idea that she had this book club that these white suburban moms were just eaten up. And then she was like, here's the bluest eye. <laughs> I mean, there is something amazing if you like if you think back on the Oprah show and the Heighten, like the '90s, and watching these like little white ladies in the audience clutching their books because the author is going to be there, and on the one side financially uh, benefiting from this exposure, but also like Toni Morrison being, I'm glad you guys are reading this. That's all I got. Like right. it's amazing, mm-hmm. but yeah, Oprah did bring so many different types of voices to the Mm -hmm. American space. And it's so interesting. Tony, I just feel like ripples through a lot of what we'll be talking about today. Yes. Uh, We are going to be having a conversation. I'm so excited with Kathleen Turner. Guys, can you believe this? This is weird. At this point, I'm almost exhausted by legends. (laughs) (laughs) I need to stop rolling through here. Come on the show, Rita Ora. Lewis has had enough. (laughs) I was rereading one of Kathleen's books last night on Kathleen Turner on acting, and I just remember she's talking so much about how she picks her characters and knows how to play them by the language and, you know, how the screenwriter is writing them. And so, you know, I feel like Words are important. <laughs> sure. Um, what a take. And it's, it'll be nice talking to someone who understands that. Who actually uh, cares about that. Yes. From body heat onward. I mean, just the iconography at play is so unbelievable. I think I mentioned this to Lewis this weekend that I believe uh, the entire silk shirt dress industry oh, owes quite. Yes. billions of dollars yes. to Kathleen Turner. Mm. But beyond that, just her uh, dedication to the craft of acting rather than the performance of being a movie star is quite amazing. Yes. And speaking of the performance of movie stars, we will be talking about The Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw yes. today. Oh. <laughs> what a and, gift, this story. And, and and the mess going on behind the scenes there. I'm so um, excited about this. And then we will also be talking about um, Kamala Harris getting into it with Tommy Lahren. And everyone. Really. And everyone. It's, it's Kamala versus the world right now. So grab your handcuffs, <laughs> keep listening to Keep It, and we'll be right back. Last week were the second Democrat debate. It's only been a second set. I know, right? And um, the name on everybody's lips was Kamala. <laughs> well, specifically Tulsi, who, yeah. I first of all, I, I of course did the basic elementary non-political person math of, isn't it crazy how young she is? And then I thought, why the hell are you running? Why is this happening that I have to look at you and be like, wow, she looks like Olivia Munn. Wow, Olivia Munn's actually older than her. And now I'm interested in you as a human being. I have a small lizard brain. Well, if you read that New York Magazine profile of Tulsi, which was frightening, mm, um, almost yeah. as frightening as her history with LGBTQ rights. Well, were, she calmly explained that. I yes. know. She, she just hated us a lot. Yeah. You know, her father is was, the one who ran Alliance for issues. Traditional Marriage and Stop Promoting Homosexuality, which is such oh, a, a name title. for a group. Yes. <laughs> I'm a part of Stop Promoting Homosexuality. <laughs> okay, girl. <laughs> Same. Uh, 
And that one promoted conversion therapy. And Which, as we all know, yes, works. works. Uh, she did reverse her stance on those in the early 2010s. Uh, and said she, she regrets the positions she took in the past, and she regrets, you know, having opposed same-sex civil unions and opposed efforts to um, combat gay bullying. Uh, all of this is to say it was very surreal knowing what we know about Tulsi mm-hmm. and seeing sort of social media erupt into this yes queen moment of Tulsi because she was dragging Kamala Harris. And it's like, you know, two things can be right at once. And maybe if you're tweeting about the debate and a candidate, read something about them first. Well, that's not how Twitter works. Um, (laughs) The interesting part of watching that uh, exchange wasn't the fact that Kamala and her team have been remiss to not come up with answers on those issues. Mm -hmm. She needs to come, she needs to articulate her uh, evolution on, or her role in some pretty fucking atrocities towards inmates in her prosecutorial record. Particularly Little Kim, (laughs) which we'll get to in a minute. We'll talk about that. But (laughs) it is interesting that Tulsi is dragging her on past uh, acts when she's done this. She has also been horrible to groups of people and also um, made disastrous choices as an adult. So the fact that Twitter refuses to deal with the intricacies of hypocrisy and culpability, because those words have too many syllables, is really frustrating, was really frustrating to me the whole time. It was a lot of Kamala's a car, Kamala's this and that, and then me tweeting about this is what Tulsi's been up to, and a lot of people will be like, oh my oh. god, I didn't know. Thanks for sharing. It's like, bitch! Pay attention for one second. <laughs> Pay attention, please, in the words of Teresa Giudice. Well, also, by the way, I, I, I mean, I think the Tulsi conversation was dwarfed somewhat by the Marianne Williamson mm. horoscopery that she threw out there. Another woman uh, that social media would love to stand, and I will admit, I love a good Marianne Williamson joke. Did not go as far as some friends suggesting, uh, we need her at the third debate so we can have the fun and the goopery. I'm like, no, no we don't. I mean, that, <laughs> We've had our fun. And there, yeah, she is a good looking white woman who has bamboozled millions into her to be indoctrinated into her philosophy. Love my, a my scam. sweet Brie yeah. Vandekamp. I mean, oh, ish. Oh, once again, yeah. once Marsha Cross was at that fundraiser. Once right. upon a time, it was Miss Oprah Winfrey. You mm-hmm. know, there she has had big names follow her and. Uh, there's nothing that uh, lovers of scams love more than the ability, <laughs> Ira Madison, the ability to pull people uh, into their world and believing what they're saying. My problem with that is I just don't have time for that right now. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I like like the jokes. I get it. Like, Marion Wilson was a small little boy reporter, came up to her with his whole ass tie on and asked her if she had a pet. And, he, and she said, I had a cat and it is dead. <laughs> and then she goes, meow. Yeah, it's I understand. I really get it. But in a. Uh, in a field of 20 candidates still, yes, we're still, uh, what, 15 months out, I don't feel the need to just be like, yes, Queen, talk about talk about crystals. You had one good opinion. Yes, reparations is something that needs to be talked about. But the rest of her uh, opinions weren't 
they were just that. They had no policy behind them. Mm-hmm. And my question is, and how sway? It's like, good, you did the reading. Yes, reparations. But what else? But what else? Also, it's like having a good point. I mean, half of Twitter has a good point. Half of Twitter <laughs> should not be the president. That's the lowest bar possible that you could have a correct answer to a question. Exactly. And it's it was a lot of like, I'll fix this with love. We have a mm-hmm. sick care problem, not a health care problem. I've I've heard sound bites before. Mm-hmm. I've watched The West Wing. I don't really need this type of discourse because w- we've seen how easily uh, the population gets distracted mm-hmm. by glitter. Yes. It was Cheeto glitter last time, and this time it will be, you know, a rose quartz from the Goop pop-up store. Which is funny <laughs> because in, in in the words of, like, Twitter discourse, right, I feel like Marion Williamson is definitely a fave and not a retweet. Yes. Um, <laughs> I will actually say, though, that digging into Marianne, she's not into the crystals and, you know, the, like, astrology and stuff, which actually was a big turnoff. These are just jokes that people are making. And I was like, I can't even connect to her on a astrology level. She doesn't have crystals. She doesn't have a calcite next to her she bed. She doesn't have CoStar. I can't, I can't rock with her. Yes, I can't add her on CoStar. Well, also, but she's very energy-oriented. Yes. So I feel Love, like the crystals then spew intention. forth from that. She's yeah. Jasmine um, from season four of Angel, for people who get that. And that by the is way, who she is. And by the way, no one is more obsessed with angels than Marianne Williamson. <laughs> she invokes the image of angels all the time, and I just want to say, it's a stupid image. I hate angels. Who invented them? Okay, well, okay. my tarot card reader actually did tell me that the angels are watching me and I need to be more Yes, they're to watching them, you, so. so you should be watching what you're doing. So but may- will... maybe calm down a bit on that, Lewis. Uh, but I will say, in the same as Lewis was mentioning, she does evoke energy. The Her dangerous rhetoric, rhetoric about mental illness has often meant she always is talking about, well, you are just, you're allowing the darkness to happen. There is illness is the physical manifestation of your psychic screams is something that has been in one of her books. So she is living in the fringe skepticism chasm Mm -hmm. that is through this population. And since she was one of the most researched candidates after this election is really frightful that People who are already susceptible to, well, you know, Russia did that and and vaccines are going to kill my babies and that growing population are going to also say, well, Marianne Williamson said that, like, maybe mental health is a fallacy and uh, all antidepressants are just going to hurt us further. And those are the people who are most vulnerable. I just I don't find uh preying on vulnerability. Right. And it's a fine line with talking about, um, you know, there's always the thing that she's not anti-science. She just wants you to also take the medicine and also um, be in your power, your energy and et cetera. And I'm like, cool, that's a conversation that we can have, uh, but not on the debate. Yeah. Can we do it? Can we do it on the chew? Right. (laughs) Um, Can we can we talk about that stuff there? Can we talk about it like over drinks somewhere else? when she's not running for president. So many of the people I know who kind of do support her, some of them are like, well, no, she obviously shouldn't be president. But then I'm like, well, so why shouldn't she be president? And they don't really have the exact answer Mm -hmm. um, because to answer that would be to rip out that foundation of maybe I don't think that she would be good for the country as a ruler, as a president. And it's like, but why? And why do you think she's running? At any rate, attention. Um, attention is the answer. Attention, you know. And speaking of attention during the debates, 
<sighs> that blonde demon. This third rate dry bar receptionist. <laughs> And I like dry bar, so I'm sorry. But God damn it. They this, excuse me, can I please skip you in line at Panera because I'm running late for a nail appointment, Heffa. <laughs> oh, we're talking God. about Tommy Laren. Yes. We're talking about Tommy Laren. We were going to keep going. Uh, yeah, we were waiting for you to describe her. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm still at the same place I always was with her, which is um, Olsen Twins movie villain. <laughs> Yes. New York Minute, more like a New York I'm going to kill you too. <laughs> Not clever, but fine. If you say it with confidence, yes. as we've learned, yes, Lewis, right. as you taught us on this podcast. That's right. That's right. And Marianne does the same thing. Yes. Exactly. But Tommy, uh, during the debates, had a horrendous uh, tweet, which mm-hmm. is, as per usual with her tweets, she tweeted, Kamala, did you fight for ideals or did you sleep your way to the top with Willie Brown? Mm. And before, then- we, before we get into that, can I just say, it it still trips a wire in my brain. I'm still always surprised by this, by how much of conservative Twitter... It just sounds like bad comedians, like somebody <laughs> so, somebody who's getting around the ability to tell a joke and instead going for things that sound like making a point like cruelty mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, broad generalizations or just things like this that aren't funny, but have the cadence of a joke in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's not the same thing as making a point. You're just avoiding doing something well, which would have been making us laugh. Pillow talk. Well, didn't Rock Hudson die of AIDS? That's See, Tommy yeah. doing stand-up. Sure, sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, would, I'm there. Yeah. That would have required her to have any sort of reference of history. So. Yes. Uh, at any rate, she also doubled down and later tweeted, I didn't make this up. Willie Brown admitted it. The truth hurts. Mm, I know that's I not. miss truth hurts. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, it is going higher on the Billboard chart, so Lizzo's doing that. I know. I'm trying to just, like, diversify my palette. Okay. Uh, I think it's... You know, beyond the messiness of trying to get the cosign of this accomplished senator's ex from 25 years ago, um, it is there on the one hand, this is going to happen more often. We're going to have more powerful women uh, who have been ambitious and have been driven their careers, who have complicated personal histories in the spotlight. And there are going to be a series of, you know, Ross brand Bettys, like trying to drag them mm-hmm. for their choices, uh, consensual choices, not the illegal, violent ones of many of the men that have have had torrid sexual pass. And on the, I actually applauded on one hand because I want to see women with different pasts get to power and bring those type of experiences uh, to the forefront. On the other hand, it is slut shaming wrapped up in like a fucking news alert from five years ago. And Kamala immediately said, "Yes, I was with him a thousand years ago, and he has no, uh, he has no bearing on the trajectory exactly. of her career." Yeah, I did uh-huh. this myself. She did all of it herself. All of the things that we don't necessarily approve of and are do not support and are keeping her to task to, she did them herself, and she got there herself. Yeah, she locked up those people herself. She did that. <laughs> Speaking of that, one of the wildest things I discovered this oh, weekend buddy. was that Kamala Harris was in the Little Kim BT reality series Countdown to Lockdown as a talking head uh, talking about how what year was this? This was like 2005, 2006. Okay. And she says, We need to really take a hard line on these things. We can't be glorifying 
the gangster lifestyle. While on BET. While on on BET, which is so funny and why (laughs) Kamala needs to, in the future, get ahead of so many of these things people have questions about, including her record, including just things where it seems she's faking the funk too much. Because, sis, you were just on The Breakfast Club saying Tupac was your favorite rapper. Yeah. So let's talk about a gangster lifestyle. Also, the idea of implying that Little Kim was any kind of gangster is insane to me. She was talking about fucking. Right. Without <laughs> Making a, a Sprite can disappear in her mouth. Okay? <laughs> okay, she was Just asking like how many person. licks. Yeah. She's the owl from Tootsie Roll commercials. Right. She's not a gangster. Intellectually curious owl. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um... What's actually really funny, too, about this Tommy Laren thing is she continues to try and be this provocateur. She was trying to tweet like Trump. Like Trump could have gotten away with that. Because he's busy always doing this kind of shit to people, right? Mm -hmm. She did it and quickly got dragged by all the women who work at Fox News with her. Britt McHenry, um, who is useless, but uh, came out against her. And um, did you know Fox News had a meteorologist? That is very shocking. Yes, because Janice Dean was like, if a male contributor tweeted this, they would probably be suspended with a trip to HR. Pretty disgusting, Tommy, which I don't know if a male contributor at Fox News would have been suspended and have to go to HR. No, they would have been like, oh, well, Willie Brown said it. He has a receipt and another man even though he's black, said it. So let's yeah. be cool with that. Also, though, I'm sick of Fox News people standing up against sexism suddenly. Right. It, <laughs> it's so weird, this statement, too, because it's like if a male contributor tweeted this, they would probably be suspended with a trip to HR. Are you saying that she deserves a trip to HR or are you secretly mad that if a, the, are you Correct. like mad about the Bill O'Reilly's and the other people who are being sent to HR um, that they don't get to play? Like It's this weird. It really felt thing. that she has pissed some people off. Like it, <laughs> there felt like there was some secret tea that we don't know about. And they were like, oh, good. We can drag her on Twitter. Like. People drag her all the time. Pick pick a lane. There's mm-hmm. opportunities at all times. Also, how about she's a PAX Network reject who got loud enough somehow and then got the opportunity to be on Fox News. If you're so fucking upset about that, stop waiting until this moment to be outraged. She sucks anyway. Yeah, I mean, she sucks since she terrorized Lizzie McGuire in high school. Right, exactly. I also get frazzled when conservative people tweet about Willie because I think that they're tweeting about Willie Horton. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I Lord. think we're revisiting uh, that Dukakis drama and yeah. not the Willie Brown thing with yeah. Kamala. And I'm like, stop naming people Willie. It's not 1924 anymore. <laughs> Isn't Joe Turner's come and gone? Willie Brown noted Princess Diaries cameo. <laughs> uh, it has its own really complicated past. And I, what was really interesting to me, and I mentioned it already, but that there, he felt the need to go on record saying that he really put her on, put Kamala Harris on. Mm-hmm. It's it's just another in a long line of men who accidentally uh, had relations with competent women and then were confused <laughs> when they continued to be competent. Yes. They're like, I don't understand. You were 30. It was a, you were lying to me. You had a, <laughs> you had a plan that JD you already had in those four years. Like <laughs> bruv. Like you gotta we gotta it, release. It's stuff. kind of like what bothers me a little bit about how Roger Ebert always took a little bit too much credit for Oprah. It's like you had one, you, you went on a date with her and mentioned exactly. syndication. Like she was too stupid to figure it out. I don't know. I mean, like, I love Roger Ebert. I truly love him. But yeah, it bothers me a little bit. But at the same time, that one, you're like, 
yeah, get that shine. He really, <laughs> he really was very proud of like being on the ground floor, a pre-Stedman restoration project. True, but it's such a man thing, too. It you know, you, it's not thing. like Oprah's going around being like, Dr. Oz, you watching that? That's me. <laughs> Dr. Phil, I did that. Well, no, she did go on Dr. Phil like towards the end and go like, like a couple years into it and said, I didn't think you'd still be on. <laughs> she, she was like, not in a, not in a dragging Dr. Phil's, you know, really specific scientific work, more in that she thought he would do a couple seasons, get more book deals and keep it rolling. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, she's claiming those checks, which I think is important. I think this is just all to say, not that we're here busy doing a Kamala defense team. Definitely uh, not. Because uh, she has not paid us. Uh, (laughs) So um, that's not something I will do in my spare time. Uh, But I will just say, you know, for the next debates, for the Twitter jokes, for the anything, we've talked before about how the role of comedy can be really good in politics mm-hmm. and we sort of miss that satirical bite that I feel like SNL had and things but there's just been something lately that's stripped away from all of it and it's not really funny it's just observations mm-hmm. uh, and sort of entertaining ourselves to death yes and maybe the jokes would be a little bit funnier with a bit more base research yes yeah just no thanks oh I love to know mm-hmm. my favorite thing a pleasure <laughs> when we're back We will be joined by the woman herself, the woman of the hour, legend, legend, icon, Miss Kathleen, the voice, Turner. (laughs) As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside. And then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. 
Don't miss out on Barefoot Dream's soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Hi. Where are you? Los Angeles. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> West Hollywood, though, it's a little cuter. No, that's the yeah, only answer. Miss right. <laughs> <laughs> Turner, Miss Kathleen Turner, um, is here with us on Keep It, and we have so much to say, so much to ask. I I truly just want to start out by saying that you are maybe one of my favorite actresses, and it's in preparation for you joining us. I feel like all of us were rewatching some We've of had your a great favorite weekend. Um, roles. I'm just being reminded how fantastic you are. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish you all could uh, see more of me on stage. Because mm-hmm. I wish that as well. Yes. That, that is my true metier, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Though I will confess I had a wonderful time in the 80s and 90s doing those films. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you also said uh, once that when you were shooting Body Heat, um, it was, I feel like you have such a singular performance because you didn't know, you know, those like Lauren Bacall movies or uh, you said you didn't know film noir at all. And, um, you know, you didn't feel like at that point you were the greatest student of filmmaking. Well, not at all. I look, when I went to, I moved to London, my, my father was with the Foreign Service, a diplomat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I grew up outside the United States uh, until university. But the last four years were in London at, you know, high school at the American School in London. And oh, once I was in London, every penny went to getting a seat in the theater, you yeah. know. And even though I even I think I think I recall it, theater was was well if you sat up in the gods anyway, <laughs> was uh, less expensive than than film tickets. But I never I always kind of felt like film happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know I was I was going hard and strong for Broadway, and I was on Broadway my first year once I got to New York, but. Then I got hijacked. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, speaking specifically about that, I remember you said that you were very excited for the chance when you would be able to play Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you know, because you needed the time to be that age. And I want to ask you about, um, I was just rewatching some of these and, you know, like, how would it feel in War of the Roses? You know, like you're only 33 um, playing that role. And did you feel like you often had to sort of age up and go oh, into I, different places? No, I, I always played older than myself mm-hmm. until until uh, Virginia Woolf because, well, I mean, all right. Now, nobody asked me, for example, um, when, when they finally cast uh, Body Heat, Larry Kazan turned to me and said, oh, by the way, you know, how old are you? And I said, at 25. He went, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. You're 29. And I went, okay, fine. Yeah, right. I guess the idea of a woman having that much power that young was unacceptable uh, in some ways. And, of course, um, so that thereafter, I always seem to, certainly in film, play older than my actual age. Um, I mean, when I did Peggy Sue, I I wasn't 42, for heaven's sake, you know? (laughs) I know. That movie is so crazy because everybody has to play multiple ages, and, like, Joan Allen, who's so young there, is also, whatever, 42. It's so bizarre to watch in retrospect. I know, but it's magical, don't you think? Oh, totally. That's honestly one of my favorite um, films. I would say that... Joan Wilder um, in Romancing the Stone is maybe my favorite role of yours, but Peggy Sue is my favorite film that you've been in. I always say that Joan Wilder is is the closest to my personality, and um, you know, I, I I have to say she is well, she is beloved wherever I go. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's Joan Joan Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> My question for you is, so you got an Oscar nomination for Peggy Sue Got Married. If you had to reanalyze your entire career, would that be the movie you would give yourself a nomination for if you could only pick one? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I, I, I was thrilled by the work I did in Ken Russell's Crimes of Passion, but— Oh, if Tony Perkins is my, like, time machine husband. I don't think it was a good—I don't think it was a great film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Peggy Sue is a great film. Mm -hmm. And I loved Accidental Tourist, another Larry Kaz and Bill Hurt and my uh, collaboration. Um, I I don't know. I suppose I think that Peggy Sue is the strongest film, and it's the one in which I think I had the most— responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so, yeah, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask you, I'm a Baltimore native, so of course I have to ask you about Serial Mom. Uh, Johnny! Yeah, <laughs> which was, uh, at a certain point, required watching in my neighborhood. Uh, you guys, oh, I, I should hope so. Yeah, I, you guys shot at Video Americana, which was the movie theater around my school. It was amazing, and I've loved it forever. But something my friends and I have discussed is, do you think that Beverly was always a serial killer, or do you think that the beige rude of suburban Baltimore changed her into murder, a murderer. Oh, I I can kind of envision her in high school, (laughs) deciding that some student had to go. Got it. Yes. Yeah. I think I think that it was certainly latent, if not there was no one 
one episode that that sparked her final. I think it was always, always an option to her. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Manners but always matter. But I see, I see Bob and I, I, I John and I are, mm-hmm. are good friends, and mm-hmm. I still, I see him a lot. I just, um, I was up in Provincetown for the Tennessee Williams Festival. Oh, great! And. Uh, and uh, so we had dinner there, and uh, it was very nice. We have a nice time. <laughs> yeah, the addition, the the effect you guys had on camp, and just that type of. Well, now, now, really, mm-hmm. think think about what he has done. He exactly. Is, yeah, he has an international reputation mm-hmm. as a as a filmmaker without ever once having to go through Hollywood. Uh, building, I mean, really, truly being holded to no one. Yeah. Uh, and he's done it on his own. I, I think that's extraordinary. And he's mined, you know, his history and, and the the local personal um, impact that growing up in Baltimore, especially. Well, have him. you seen his new book? I haven't been able to check it out yet. Oh. Oh, well, it's called Mr. Know-It-All, I guess. And he's, he gave me a copy which says, of course, Mrs. Know-It-All. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know what he means by that. Oh, anyway. No. <laughs> oh, no. What did, he, what did John once say about me that I just, I've always loved? He said, oh, yes. He said, working with Kathleen Turner is like working with a lion. Show no fear. <laughs> I love it. Kathleen Turner, you are not only uh, obviously a super renowned and uh, versatile actress, but you're somebody who has taught acting and had a master class and like is very acquainted with the nuts of both nuts and bolts of acting and articulating them. How often then for someone who knows acting on that level, do you actually enjoy watching other people acting or do you just immediately see through everybody's tricks? Well, um, you know, I had a, I just had a book come out in the fall, Kathleen Turner on acting. I read it last night, um, cover to cover. That's on Amazon. Yeah, it's doing well. Well, thank you. That's quite a compliment <laughs> that you did. Well, that you stayed, that you could stay with it that long. <laughs> um, I, I, and I just last week did an, an intense four-day uh, master course for um not students, there are people out there working, you know, but, but, um, any case, uh, I'm, I'm not judgmental, really, and I, I don't, I don't have an immediate response when I've, you know, if, if, if the curtains come down and someone were to stop me and were there as the theater empties and says, so, what do you think I'd say? I will tell you tomorrow or the next day because mm-hmm. <laughs> I simply like to have things percolate, huh? sink in. Let me let me experience it more. Um, I will certainly be able to tell if 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 it's, if it's an, a performance that I think is a complete waste of my time, um, which doesn't happen very often. Quite honestly, you gotta, you know. There is no one way to do it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, shifting to your theater, I know that at times you've talked about having to wrestle with being um, sort of this sex symbol early on. I mean, your first movie is Body Heat. And first of all, you and William are just so glowing (laughs) in that Mm. film. And it's wild how it even starts out with like just showing his body so much. I feel like that wasn't even common to show men that way that much at the time. Yeah. Well, it still isn't. I went to see something, a screening not long ago, and every woman 
was spread-eagled, man. <laughs> and, and every every man you saw only his ass. And I mm-hmm. thought, come on, aren't we past this crap? Yeah, I mean, it just felt so bold seeing you, you know, like grab him by his penis and just like pull him across the room in that one scene. It's just, <laughs> it's it really just showed. It's a really beautiful scene. It was an amazing entrance for you into uh, people's minds in Hollywood. But, you know, I do want to ask because, you know, you played that sex symbol, you know, you coyly mocked it a bit, you know, in like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and then in like Dumber and Dumber 2. Um, but... You know, well, I, my next film, you remember, was um, The Man with Two Brains. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was, uh, I mean, Dolores Benedict, come on, a painful traitor. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was the, she was the most, it was as outrageous as, as mocking the femme fatale as was possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I loved it. <laughs> yes. Um, I just wanted to ask a bit then how, when you did The Graduate, you know, yeah. originated that role on stage, yeah. how did that feel stepping into, you know, the Mrs. Robinson role? Because I, I was looking on reviews and I feel like Ben Brantley's like entire review was just sort of like focused on the nude scene. And it felt, was that, did it feel too much? No, like which a, is all of 21 seconds or mm-hmm. something, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, um, when we built that in, you know, we created it in, in England, in London from the West End and ran it there for six months. Now, I was 46 then. And uh, quite honestly, uh, the. The director, writer, Terry, had said to me, look, if there's any other way that you think it can have the impact that, you know, to 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 kick Benjamin's ass, mm-hmm. you know, as nudity, then we'll try it out, you know. And there really wasn't. I mean, what, just naked from the waist up, just... Uh, I, I, there just really wasn't any combination except full nudity that mm-hmm. did what mm-hmm. needed to be done. So, okay, fine. So we go with that. And every single performance in London was sold out, bar none. And then, of course, the English producers said, ah, well, okay, we are, we're going to Broadway. And I said, no, no, we're not. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, because Americans are so screwed up about sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I, I don't need this, you know? I, I, bullshit. Anyway, so I went off. Oh, can I say this on this? Yeah. Sure can. No, good. <laughs> so I went off to do a tour of a one-woman play called Tallulah. Mm-hmm. And while I was on the tour, I got a script where the character was described as 37 but still attractive. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So I called up the British producer and I said, uh, we're going to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was 48, mm-hmm. you see. But it was an extraordinary thing, guys. I got to tell you, I would get these letters from women saying things like they had not undressed in front of their husband in 10 years and they were going to tonight. That's a nice it was notice. That kind of reinforcement that was so, <laughs> that was so ex- extraordinary. Well, imagine. I mean, no one else at forty eight was considered, you know, a sex symbol in this country. Completely. Mm-hmm. So that's there been you a slow moving evolution that hasn't really happened. Not yet. really. It hasn't no. happened yet. It still have. Yeah, it's yeah. still a long way to go. When you gave an interview last year 
uh, I think to Vulture talking about it, it began with you talking about how you don't like the quality of Elizabeth Taylor's voice. And ever since you said that, you have planted a seed in me where I now think about the quality of actors voices. And if I like what I'm hearing when I'm watching them. And so my yeah. question to you is what voices really uh, uh, stick with you? What other actors voices are your favorites? Mine. <laughs> uh, no, I really do. But uh, no, actually, what I dislike is that nasal, whiny, kind of shrill edge mm-hmm. that a lot of people get to their voices. And honestly, I mean, I could be sitting in a a restaurant and I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at this group of women who are doing, you know, ladies who lunch and they're. Oh, five to ten thou on the hoof, right? With their clothes, their jewelry, their hair, their makeup. And and then they open their mouths. And I want to say, you know what? Just sell one ring and take voice lessons. (laughs) But do you think that's attached to some sort of performativity of what it's supposed to sound like to be feminine or No, I think I think honestly voices um I, I, I think a lot of people just I, accents and voices and the quality and the timbre of voice mm-hmm. has a lot to do with your ear, with what you can hear. For example, I think you will find that almost all the greatest voices are have pitch perfect quality, have are, are have perfect pitch. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's about physically, it's about being able to hear in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do think it can be improved upon, you know. Mm-hmm. With a, a class. And excitingly, coming up at some point this year on Netflix, you, they're so mysterious with release dates. You're doing Heartstrings, a Dolly Parton anthology series where each episode is based on one of her songs. You know, like Jolene or something like this. So she calls me up about this uh, character called Old Bones. <laughs> And I said, I'm reading this, and I'm going, Hillbilly lives up there. I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. Anyway, so Dolly calls me. And she says, now, now Kathleen, now, <laughs> now uh, here's, here's what I want to tell you. Now, old bones, she's real important to me because, well, old bones, she lived up to mountain. You know, and, well, we kids, we, we just all thought she was a witchy woman, but she wasn't really. <laughs> and we, we once in a while, I go, I go by, and, well, we was 12, so I was always hungry. <laughs> and she gave me a cookie or something like this. And once she said to me, you know, Miss Dolly, you are anointed. So I went home, and I said to my mama, what's anointed? And she said, well, that means touched by God. Oh, wow. Hmm. So you see, Bones was the first one to know. And it was such a, oh, it's such a, she's, you know, she is the sweetest darn woman. And <laughs> I had I had a wonderful Time. I had a wonderful time with this character. I got five layers of age makeup on, <laughs> body padding, uh, a, a white wig that goes down past my ass. And I mean, I just, you really, uh, really, truly, it's uh, it's a whole new look for me, guys. I love it. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's so amazing that each of the uh, episodes, you have a different writer, different director to really. Oh, it was just good fun. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's kind of like, I, I think of it as one of his dollies. 
vision of America that, you know, but them's, them's that's good, you know, <laughs> good things will come to them. And them's that's not, well, you know. <laughs> Bless um, their heart. But she was saying to me, we had only one disagreement. She said to me, now, now you know, she lived she lived up there with uh, with an old hound dog named Blue <laughs> and a one-eyed cat named Squinty. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, Dolly, I, I travel with my cat. You know, when I'm on location or something, I always say, oh, 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 all, all right there. All right, now, we can just take some uh, sugar water, you know, and we put it on one of his eyes. Now, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt him. <laughs> and he can play squinty. And I went, right. no, he can't. <laughs> it's not going to happen, Dolly. That's amazing. Oh, she's funny. She's such a mysterious character to me in that she really seems to, like, be bottomlessly effervescent. I want someone to solve Dolly Parton for me, how she got this way or got, you know. <laughs> well, Don, I say, first of all, you know what an extraordinarily prolific yes. songwriter she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, if her body of work in that is, is unmatched, I think. I think, too, that growing up she did the way she did, which was which was hard, you know, it was, was a hard life. That in a way, she everything that she's done and gained and been able to share, she sees as a gift. And I think that's rather wonderful. Yeah, she evokes a certain amount of hope and light with anyone who listens to her music and sees her perform. So that's amazing. Yes, but she does make a lot of fun about herself, you know, <laughs> as a, you know, you know, the famous saying, she says, you know, it takes takes a lot, lot of money, money to look this cheap. Yes, <laughs> right. And the higher the hair, the closer to God. Yes, uh-huh. ma'am. <laughs> and you talked a bit about Dolly Parton's vision, you know, for America. And I believe that advocacy is something that's very important to you, yes? Well, mostly, um, I mean, there are three major organizations that I, and you you should understand and that, that my activism to me is almost as important as my art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I could ever be satisfied uh, not doing it, you know. I would feel a very empty life in some ways. But so I work mostly in New York where I, I live. I serve with the board of City Meals on Wheels. And um, last month, we delivered our 60th millionth wow. meal to our 19,000 elderly clients. And as you know, the population is only getting older, you know, so there's no end in sight there. Um, and I have always been. Uh, a great advocate for Planned Parenthood, traveling to affiliates and speaking for them and fundraising, and I've been pretty pretty outspoken about that. Mm-hmm. And then now, what I think my primary focus right now is uh, people for the American Way, because we are building a young progressive pipeline of 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 politicians of future. For for example. Four of our graduates in the last electoral term were Andrew Gillum from Florida, Stacey Abrams from Georgia, mm-hmm. Kirsten Cinema, you know, from Arizona, and this wonderful woman, uh, Paula Jordan from Idaho, a Native American. Point being that all of these young politicians 
Um, we conduct seminars and caucuses and teach them fundraising and networking and, oh, uh, you know, I, it's it's just an extraordinary program that we only started, I guess, around 12, 13 years ago. So we're we're doing a lot of catching up still, you know, as yeah. opposed to the Republican rec recruitment that starts, you know, when they're born, I guess. Doctrine. Yes. For heaven's sakes. Uh, it's great. I, 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 when I can, you know, when I'm not uh, booked or something, then I go to the <laughs> caucuses and I work with the women on mm -hmm. on presentation on how and their voices. I will <laughs> confess, <laughs> I, I I have been known to say to people, if you say like one more time, I understand. I will slap you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had to yet. No, <laughs> that's wonderful. I just had one more question. You're still doing your work in theater, um, which is wonderful. And I know you talked once about how you wish that um, you could play King Lear. And I wonder oh, if... I don't think that's gone yet. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, is that something nah, you still want to do? Nah, nah. Did you get to see Glenda Jackson's? I would not see another person play a role that I okay. to do. No. No, but what I have done in the last year, which is pretty exciting, is for the first time I have created a cabaret. Ah, uh, yeah. And I took it to London, and then I took it to the Cafe Carlisle, and I have discovered that I need a theater because not a not a club. I need. I'm too damn big for a club. <laughs> they just. They just. I, I think. I think I was. I, think, <laughs> I know. One evening at the Carlisle, I just went. Oh, this is so fucking small. In <laughs> <laughs> any case, so we're we're now creating a full-length theater show. And basically, I tell stories and, and have songs that I love and that highlight the, the stories that I tell. So I'm more of a storyteller, I think, than that sings, you know, than, um, than just a singer, because I do love telling stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you enjoyed playing the character of yourself in front of these crowds? Ah, oh, that's an interesting question, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there is a certain persona that I know I I present as myself, but I don't know how much deeper I can analyze that sucker. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Miss Turner. It was an honor. Well, thank you. Thank you. Have a great time, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Have a beautiful day. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I think as you all know about me, uh, he said tearfully, um, like um, Tamara Maori, um, I get called the Fast and the Furious franchise's whore. <laughs> You're so stupid. No, I just want to say quickly. My mom follows only me and Ira on Twitter. Oh, my God. Your mom follows me on Twitter. This is You posted a tweet with that in it. That's going to be a meme she does not understand. She does not know what you're referencing. And then I have to deal with it on the phone. Mom, she said, I get called white man's whore. He changed it to, I get called Vast and the Furious whore. I do like your mom follows up. That's so lovely. <laughs> this is... This is so... Shocking to me. Take it. And now I'm going to be like, oh my God, the things that I tweet. Right. I'm sorry, mom. I think you, <laughs> indeed. You, you both are out of pocket. So don't worry about it. Both of y'all. Uh, the reason we are talking about the Fast and the Furious is because, according to a recent piece by the Wall Street Journal, the stars of the Fast and Furious movies apparently take their male egos into the fight scenes in these films. Uh, the actors named in the piece were Jason Statham, Vin Diesel, and The Rock. And it's basically the idea that their fights are always made so that they aren't losers. Yeah, they <laughs> right. don't want to be seen as weak or that they have lost to the other person. Yes, which means that the punches, the headbutts, the kicks, the body slams, they are all factored in to make each of these male stars look like they are just basically macho. You can really see that in Hobbs and Shaw mm. now that you've just sort of once you read really... the article and once you're looking at it. And I know Riri and I both saw Hobbs and Shaw last night. 30 minutes apart. We yes. were in different theaters. Did not realize that until today. Our personal sliding doors. Yes. <laughs> what do we think about this concept of tracking the fights in movies? I mean, I oh, I really am so excited about this topic. I am a recent Fast and Furious lover, uh, and I've been watching them backwards as any sensical person would. Mm-hmm. I... Thing, I, this does not surprise me in the in the slightest. We've heard that there used to be beef between uh, Vince, uh, Vin Diesel, formerly known as Mark Sinclair, because that is his l- legal name, yes. and um, Dwayne Johnson. They were butting heads because uh, The Rock came in and was a powerful force on set, and Vin Diesel didn't re- reply to that. So I do wonder if this all really started in the aftermath of um, their tiff. Mm-hmm. But... What I was 
when I was watching Hobbs and Shaw last night uh, or yesterday, what I really realized, it's not to show that you are the most strong. It's to show that you aren't the weakest. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So, you know, there's a shot in uh, Hobbs and Shaw where The Rock just holds a chain that's attached to a helicopter. And he makes sure that helicopter does not fly away. Uh, Jason Statham can't do that. But at the same time, at every point when one of them gets hit— they need to make sure they land another one. Mm-hmm. or And they explicitly say it at some point in the movie. I'm going to allow him to hit me so that you can get in a hit, and then you'll allow him to hit you so I can get this right. The excellence of this writing <laughs> is, cannot, be, cannot be understated. So I, the, I mean, it does make me worry that there's this need—you can't be able to seem vulnerable— they're, they the blood on their faces or the bruises go away immediately. There's mm-hmm. no sign of the violence that these movies are are based on and and are get the adrenaline adrenaline rushing uh, from their audience. But it's it was beautiful. It's I want I want to say. I'm not surprised by this story, but I do think it is incredibly embarrassing for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, just if you think about a movie like this, obviously stars sign on to these type of things because they want to promote a certain image, whatever. So it would make sense that they wouldn't have moments of weakness, I guess. But the fact that there is a specific score mm-hmm. that are, is assigned to whether or not you get a punch or a kick. Didn't well, Jason say what, something? There's a point value system, which so is that's what so Vin, funny. I love that Vin, sweet Vin Diesel, the heart and spirit of America, really, his solution was math. Right. He was like, if we attribute a certain point to every punch, every walk through a wall, then we could we could really put the math together and do it. But and his um, sister, who's a producer on the films, yes. is the one who tracks those. But eventually they said that was that wasn't feasible. So now they all have different ways of dealing with it. Like uh, The Rock will show up to editing versus Vin having his sister on set versus Jason Statham going through the fight choreographer. They're all trying to use like spy level invoice to make sure that they show up. It still feels like a game of Scrabble via uh, 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 yeah. like triple word score, you know, you mm-hmm. threw a barrel into a fire. I don't know. And it's not truly shocking, like you said, Lewis, because I've imagined the role of being an action movie hero. This is what you care about. You know, like historically, uh, we don't talk about how vain men are, especially men in Hollywood. But no. these are things that you expect to happen. It's why something like Leo being beaten up so many times in The Revenant is worthy of an Oscar. Because yes? he stripped away his ego to show a certain type of humane mm-hmm. vulnerability by, by eating that um, animal's heart. And it's also why we are so enamored with this story, because I feel like right now, in terms of action heroes, everyone is very drawn to Keanu Reeves and like the John Wick movies. And he always sort of wins at the end. However, he gets beaten the fuck up in those movies. And I feel like people are responding to, oh, we love that like Keanu Reeves doesn't seem to have this ego, et cetera. So this story is funny to us. And I always love the Bourne movies because just through sound design, they make it every hit lands that you always see the mm-hmm. uh, the repercussions of this violent life on um, beautiful Matt Damon's face. Marvel movies, too. You know, I think yeah. it's po- mostly because they're playing characters mm-hmm. and not 
in fast movies, it's like, this is The Rock. This is Jason Statham, like the crank movies, stuff like that. You think of those action movie stars by their name, as opposed to you're thinking of Chris Hemsworth as Thor. You're more willing to take in Chris Hemsworth being beaten the fuck up by Thanos or something in a movie because it's in service of a character. Right. And I I was going to say also, like you bringing up the Marvel movies, that's like the only other franchise I can think of where there's multiple action heroes together, mm-hmm. you know, whereas not, so not only are these people embodying what, what like glorified versions of themselves, the rock, et cetera, they are competitive with somebody else for the same protagonist type role, which I think is pretty rare in an action movie. And I do, I think it, it, it does uh, bear mentioning that in the recent years, as those roles, those hero roles, there are now three of them now, um, they have, they have decidedly picked an other character to become the villain. Jason Statham was initially introduced as a villain, but midway through the movie, Jaime Hansu shows up. So, of course, that's the person who has to die. And then it was Charlize Theron in White Girl Dreads and Technology. That's the person who has to go down. <laughs> she is still alive She's now still alive. and coming back for a sequel. Might have been her as the villain in Hobbs and Shaw. I was thinking about but, that. But know. we'll never find out. We'll never find out. But then also in this one, Idris Elba with the tiniest front grill, le petit grill on his <laughs> teeth, he was the villain. And so there is something about this like American, you know, you have the rock literally eating raw e- eggs and then being in front of American flag. Um, these American white presenting uh, men, even though The Rock takes great care to uh, represent his Samoan heritage in this particular movie, um, versus the enemy, brown men and woman mm-hmm. in the last couple of ones, because, well, you can't be weak if you're beating up these people. Well, and speaking of women, I know that Michelle Rodriguez, I remember after Fate of the Furious, was like, I'm not coming back to these movies and such. You show the women a little bit more love, which Michelle Rodriguez is always extra, but I did sort of get the sense of that in Hobbs and Shaw. I enjoyed it, and I love how these movies are just so bombastic and take on these action movie tropes and have such fun with them. But Hobbs and Shaw did feel very different in essence from a Fast and Furious original movie. Yeah, definitely. Just because those are more family-oriented. There's more female energy even, like, you know, like Michelle, like Jordana Brewster, like mm. these people, even the original ones with Paul Walker, his energy as a action star, as a Undercover lead protagonist FBI. was had more of like even like a sensual sort of sensitive energy than what you're getting from a rock or a Jason Statham. Right. You know, like Paul Walker was attractive for lack of better terms they made fun of him as being like the pretty boy like vin diesel did in the early films you know it's that's a different kind of energy so did you does this mean jordana brewster's not in the movie no this is a spin-off right right hobbs and shaw is the rock was introduced as a cia agent and because all spies look like the rock yes (laughs) and we'll slide right under the radar (laughs) and then there's jason statham who was a villain at first although they give um, him a redemption story yeah they give him a redemption in in the last one and really just we're like we don't need redemption let's actually just retcon and make him a hero uh, in hobbs and shaw now that we can have a new franchise but they spun off the Rock and Jason Statham right. into an action series. And that's also, as Rue was saying, part of the drama with The Rock coming into the series sort of put Vin Diesel in a place On where he edge. was like, I was the action star in this series. And now here's The Rock. Right. But there's, you know, they did 
what you were saying about um, more uh, women getting more action in the movies. In the previous movies, you had Gal Gadot and you had Michelle Rodriguez and you had these women, you know, they were driving the cars, they were throwing shots. Um, uh, Michelle Rodriguez had a fight with Ronda Rousey in two movies ago and it was very fun to watch. But in this movie, it was really interesting in the wake, especially of this uh, Wall Street Journal article, the only female main character, except for um, a beautiful cameo by my queen, Helen Mirren, was uh, Vanessa Kirby, who you may know as uh, Princess Margaret from The Crown, a.k.a. The Crown. Um, she's so fucking fun in this movie. And she's really fun in this movie, but... Saw her Estella in Streetcar in New York. How about that? Look, theater, people see theater. Um, but I think <laughs> I think it's really interesting because all of her physicality went up against our two lead men is seen as comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They, they've really, you know, it's funny that this little girl wants to try to take on these people. And up until that point, she's the most competent woman they've met. She's a great spy for MI6. But... If she is faced with these men, these this American type of masculinity, oh, well, I just pick her up like I'm Gaston once again. The so. thing that actually annoyed me about the movie the most is the lack of that feminine energy because there's a point in the movie where a group of female assassins show up, mm-hmm. uh, they're friends of Jason Statham's, and the way they're dressed is just sexually like the the leader has this sort of um bustier and trousers like lingerie like uh, a lonnie anderson look yes with a jacket over it and it's none of this is practical she introduced to her by her making out with jason statham for no reason not a single not a single reason and it's really was just this isn't the Fast movie. I mean, and The Fast and Furious doesn't have a ton of women, but mm-hmm. there there was a market dis- difference that was noticeable. And I wonder, as the franchise is going to continue to grow because they are making just bags on stacks on bags of money, whether or not this issue, this like male ego is going to be an overwhelming force, which it already is. But I wonder if they're even going to take out the attempts to have a, a woman that has the same amount of power. On. Exactly. Which, by the way, reminds me of female ego, which reminds me of a question I was going to ask. Jordana Brewster, are you going to do other things? No. I'm no. very confused by her. She was on the Dallas TV show. Then she just got this and then nothing. Chilled. Well, also- She's like the George Lucas of of- action movie female <laughs> acting you just did those six things okay yeah. <laughs> well it's funny too because now that paul walker is it's dead gone, she's raising their kids that they had in the series so she sort of just pops up for a cameo but the last movie they, movies. they never like they haven't addressed paul walker's death really in the movies yeah mm. so it is this i don't know what jordana's uh team has planned for her but i think the world is fine with her just doing this okay mm. yeah i mean if that team wants to come on keep it and just explain everything <laughs> yeah. Thank for, you. for jordana brewster the world is enough right oh very good wait was she in that no, no. she was yeah. not he's doing it for no reason okay yeah <laughs> Strange, Denise Richards. I, I thought we'd established that most of my jokes are sort of like non sequiturs and really just, you know, it's they then they become non jokes under yeah. his golden eye. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's an opinion to dissect. <laughs> okay. We 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 can't all have a punchline that would work on laughing. All right. Very good. It wasn't really a joke oriented show, but okay. Okay. It's so fun to be here with you guys. <laughs> we love for people to come in and just experience our dynamic up close and personal, except that you already know our dynamic. It's around me at all times. I would work for a website called Ruth Buzzfeed. That's a Ruth Buzzy reference. See, it was kind of like a joke. You see how it was almost a pun and related to laughing? Okay. (laughs) 
Thank you so much. Huh. We'll be right back with Keep It. And we're back with our favorite part of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It. Yes. Reread. So I'll let you go first. I'm really happy. You know, we've discussed some interestingly hefty topics, and I'm really excited to be petty right now. My Keep It um, (laughs) is a, a petty of British. Uh, quality is the Great British Bake Off trailer. Now it's one of my favorite shows. It is a uh, a valium to the hardship of this world. Right. I started a I, clean countertop altogether. It's is so like, pal- pal- palate cleansing. They put a plate down. Twelve seconds later, it's all beautiful, and they're all so kind to each other. It's a gentleness to it. But they released a trailer for the upcoming season that is one of the circles of hell. They're, oh, no. Channel 4 is trying to be evocative by doing a dystopian montage of this trailer. They have coal miners in an oven holding baguettes. They have fencers uh, fighting with pasties. They have a woman alone as an astronaut with bread. Like, it's it's. I have a question. Absurd. What? It's absurd. And it's... And I... Was so excited because the world is a hard place, and I was really looking forward to some sort of tartlet coming my way. Like, I love mm-hmm. watching food because it uh, makes me feel like I have eaten it without the pain. That's and, right. Strawberry uh, jelly that looks like um, rubies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a smooth ruby. Yes. It's so great, but it is... It's so wild. And I the reason why it was annoying to me beyond just the fact that I cannot believe they made a saint out of Paul Hollywood. And I know this is niche, but I'm feeling petty today is because I used this program. I used The Crown. I used a lot of shows right after the election to step away from the pain and the um, achingness of this world. Like you could not watch a rom-com without it being at Trump Tower for a while. Like. Do not watch two weeks' notice without a trigger warning. Like, yeah, the, yeah. he shows up. But at a certain point, <laughs> so I avoided it. I went to England, and it's 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 seeping into even the most gentle programming. I'm not watching years and years. I don't want to watch Emma Thompson play Donald Trump on television. I want to watch, you know, um, people really think about their pies and how it connects to their heritage, their British heritage. Right. It seems to me there are two modes of acceptable entertainment right now, which is utterly comforting mm-hmm. where they've mastered just palatability and, uh, as we as we said before, jellies. Um, <laughs> and then also things that are so unbelievably uncomfortable exactly. and horrible that it actually does articulate something that we're feeling right now. And anywhere yeah. in between is like exactly wrong. And I you have like I. I appreciate what they're doing on Euphoria. I just don't want to watch tense teens do glitter bumps all day. Like mm-hmm. it's there has to be a space for wholesome uh, television from British people that make me feel okay about myself. And right. so that is my keep it. And Channel Four, your editors really need to get off of whatever drugs they're doing. I feel like I only watch depressing British shows. Why? Fleabag, I'll never find love. Uh, <laughs> Misfits. Well, if I want to have superpowers, got to get a juvie. Did you watch Gentleman Jack? Mm. The, I started. I, that. I need to watch Gentleman Jack. I, our, our mutual friend Angelina Burnett, um, friend of the pod here, mm-hmm. told me to watch Gentleman Jack, and I, I, I looked at the poster. 
And it's I was a like, lady in a suit. I was like, is this Victor, Victoria, the series, which I would rather be watching. Um, and no. then I never got around to it. They take it further back. It's a lot about a woman who loves to journal, but then also um, <laughs> queer bashing. So oh. like really. Oh, good level. So no safety. The yeah. journal hot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Deep uh, cut. That was yeah. a that was a real niche Victor Victoria pun <laughs> right there. Uh, Lewis, I am calling an audible this week. I am bringing back Keep It Up because we've had such a horrible weekend, and I just want to you know, in the spirit of the great mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Britishness you were just describing, um, bring a little levity. Leave it to the white person to change the format oh, right. of the show. <laughs> I mean, it takes a t- certain type of confidence. We know what kind of confidence that takes. Right? Yes, Charlie Rose. <laughs> Cancel Bertel. Yes. Um, I was on Twitter recently. Uh, A big palate cleanser for me is a goddess named Mariah Carey. Sure. Mm. Who is exactly champagne colored at all times in a sort of J-Lo vibe. You know what I mean? There's like a kind of A&W sheen to the bronziness she does. Yes. Um, She posted a video that was so amazing. And I need other people to join her on this level and do this thing. She posted a tribute to... Jennifer Tilly in Bullets Over Broadway, where she did an, a perfect impression of this, uh, I'll say legendary comic character. I don't mean to invoke the filmography of Woody Allen. I'm somewhat sorry to do that. But Jennifer Tilly, some hit. Yeah. Jennifer Tilly in this movie, it's a classic performance in the way like Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny is, yeah. or uh, to reference something you just said, Leslie Ann Warren and Victor Victoria or Gene Hagen and Singing in the Rain. Batty squawky women who just have a soul to them in a, in a, in a mysterious, unknowable way. Mariah Carey's impression was so fucking good. Well, she has perfect pitch. Right. And that's a part of it. Cause it's a pitch driven performance. Yeah, totally. Um, I need more people to do this toast pop culture. They love in a serious unflinching way where you get, the pitch correct. You get every word correct. You get, uh, if you know our friend uh, Bowen Yang. Who, well, yes, I was going to say it reminds me of Bowen doing his um, lip syncs of performances, yes. which is... Which takes time. It yeah. does take the oh time. Oh my God, it's so time. He has the to facial, really focus. The, 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 the face he always gets perfect, like the, the, the mouth movements, is like he knows the speech. It's not just some like gay trying to give you Devil Wears Prada and right. like not even being able to say like, why is no one ready? Yeah, correctly? right. Exactly. That was, good. You... that was really good, Ira. You Thank really studied that, babe. Thank I did you. That. Right. I have been. I studied at the Sobon. <laughs> you sure didn't. Um, <laughs> and, uh, right. And uh, Bo and Yang, who we just brought up, yeah, he lip syncs monologues from movies. He did, uh, the one that's coming to mind right now is Aaron Brockovich, that very long speech where she's talking about all the phone numbers and people's names she memorized in that town where everybody drank the wrong water. <laughs> Sounds um, like you on Jeopardy. That's right. That's exactly me. Right. So I'm just saying there is something to me very life affirming about knowing pop culture very well, cherishing it, and then rebranding it as like a thing ch- filtered through uh, uh, the prism of you. Uh, uh, I just am so obsessed with Mariah Carey being obsessed with that performance. I do love that Mariah has the time. Yes. I think we've all... Oh, and her kid keeps interrupting the video a hundred times. Exactly. Like, very precious. <laughs> she really... Like that uh, reporter whose kid came in and his wife slid in and pulled him out. Yes. So but Mariah, good, yes. Mariah can't be um, tamed. She can't have to move people. Yeah. I think it is amazing that she she actually shows a certain level of like connectedness to pop culture. She has been famous and has been working with... Her videos always have some sort of cinematic references and or back when she did yeah. videos. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is 
something sweet in her soul um, along with whatever uh, high-class Prosecco is running through her veins. Yes, right. She was somebody who was obsessed in, with Mean Girls in a way that was not cliche. Yes. She found a humor in it that was specific to her, you know. So anyway, be Mariah Carey is my advice. She's on our wall, right? Is she? Yeah, she's right there. She's yes, next yeah. to the, yes, there she is. She's yeah. next to um, Queen Kate. That's right. And uh, and Queen Prince. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and we, we, we talked to an iconic actress today. Right. I mean, and... What else is more iconic than Mariah in the Heartbreaker video? Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. What was the evil Mariah's name in that video? Bianca. It was Bianca. I thought I was making that up. I wanted her to be named Bianca. Yeah. 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 I love it. You have a keep it for us? Or are you going to play the game? Have you been on the podcast? Well, you changed it to keep it up now. Do I need to be positive? You can bring it right back. I'm going to be. I'm going to. I was gonna a be, mix. I was I'm, annoying and then positive. I'm, I'm going to be a mix. My keep it is sprawling. My keep it, I feel like, is inspired by the spirit of Casey Musgraves. Oh, sure. Um, oh, no. She's not dead. The wings right. of no, Casey But, Musgraves. you know, like a spirit, I feel like she is a ghost. Uh, she's Casper. Uh-huh. Uh, she's alive. You know, she's ectoplasm. She's everywhere at once. Wow, okay. you are seriously right. done right. with you the yee <laughs> As we know, there were two mass shootings in America the past week. Which cities? I don't know. Pick one. Right. <laughs> By the time you listen to this, there will probably be three more. And your president doesn't know which ones either. Yes. But it was in Dayton and in El Paso most recently. And, you know, just thinking about Casey interrupting her um, show at Lollapalooza to talk about how, you know, like, we need to do something about gun violence now and just like dragging idiots on Twitter who are disagreeing with her too. I think like someone was like, Casey, you need to realize that everyone at one of your concerts is packing because all country fans have guns. Um, and an awful and lot of people. Also, also too, venues have metal detectors. I know. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's erasing the technology around yeah. these festivals. And just, we were talking about Toni Morrison earlier, you know, and I think at um, 92Y in 2015, she was giving this speech, you know, it was the, the height of, you know, still the height of black people being shot by police, you know, yeah. and she was talking about good versus evil and how she was always meditating on it and how she hates writing about evil because it's just like, it's in a costume, it's tap dancing on stage, like it's not interesting to her. And talking about police and just saying like, you know, there's nothing more scarier or cowardly than like, you know, someone with a gun. If we're talking about evil, I just want to talk about Mitch McConnell. Oh, okay. Evil, so wicked that I feel like Another specter pushed him down the stairs this week. Well, he himself is filled with a few specters. Yes. yes. They look uh, like they're all bursting to get out of his neck. <laughs> Paul Feig's Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about him because Crooked launched a call to action called Get Mitch or Die Tryin'. So cute. Um, <laughs> I know the reference. I, I know. It's actually a very good 50 Cent album. An okay movie. Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah. What? It is that good. Movie, we're not going to. Let's stay focused. Really? And it, and it only has the like okay the word range. faggot on it twice. Oh, good. Yeah. So big ups to that. Um, pew, do, pew, doing pew. what the other girls at Eminem never could do. Um, but um, the call to action is basically to get rid of Mitch McConnell. That's, uh, that's worthy. a call. Yes. You know, it's to... Help fund flipping Senate seats by supporting Democrats in Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas. 
almost sounded like that state song. Yeah, I was about to nifty. really, I was really about to break into some fifty nifty United States. Um, but you know, it's to also help um, HR eight um, get passed. It's a bipartisan bill that requires background checks on all gun sales or transfers. A bill that the Democratic led House passed on February twenty seventh. A bill that eighty six percent of American voters support including 80% of Republicans and 76% of gun owners. However, Mitch McConnell has blocked H.R. 8 in the Senate and refuses to bring it to the floor. Well, he was brought to the floor this week by Jesus. Um, <laughs> Jesus and, and gravity, two things that are against him. Uh, so how about everyone go to votesaveamerica.com slash Mitch? So they can support 2020 Democratic Senate candidates, and we can finally get that demon out of the White House. I guarantee that that's the he's not in the White House, but I feel like he hangs out there. Right? No, he's like in a turret. He has a WhatsApp right directly into the Oval Office. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. How pleasurable to be a part of that campaign. I mean, like, do it, do it, do it. It will feel good. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, that's our show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, thank you again to Miss Kathleen Turner for joining us and to Riri for being a wonderful guest co-host. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.